welcome to OperaCast, your one-stop shop for all the latest opera news, reviews, interviews and general chit-chat. I'm David Ward. We've had a bit of a break recently, but we are back with a bang, including an exclusive interview with the world-class Welsh soprano Natalia Romanew and two of my very favourite guest contributors. It's the conductor Ben Crick. Good afternoon, Ben. Hello, how are we all doing? I'm very well, thank you. How, are you? how about yourself? Not bad, not bad. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Still northern. <laughs> yeah, fine. Good. There've been no epiphanies recently. No, no, no. no, no. no. I still think North is better than everywhere else. Good. Well, yeah. That means we can have you back. <laughs> and uh, joining us uh, via the wonders of Zoom is Helen Harrison. Hello, Helen. Good afternoon. It's lovely to be here. And also, what a what a thing we got two Northern conductors. Can you believe that? Yeah. Though, yeah. have to say out loud. Obviously, I'm from Lancashire, so commiserations to Benny's from Yorkshire. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been trying to make these podcasts a little bit shorter, but I feel as though I've assembled the wrong team you to, might to, that. to yeah. do that. But that's 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 not a problem. Um, let's kick off then with a bit of a news roundup, starting with new season announcements at Scottish Opera and Glyndebourne. Uh, so Scottish Opera this autumn, a new production of Gondoliers, Opera Highlights Tour, production of Cosy Fan Tutti, and a new production for three to six-year-olds, Mr. McNeep has lost his sheep. Um, Oh, Helen, there seems to be a bit of a kind of a GNS revival at the moment, not just Scottish, but you know, Charles Court are very, very popular, have just been at, at Holland Park. Um, you know, is, is GNS the remedy we need for our, our current times? Uh, that's a really good question. Well, I think it's really good that there's really quality GNS going on. And I think uh, so many people have suffered in the past with performance of GNS by people who really, really love it, but they've kind of not done the music, the justice that it needs. Because GNS really does work when the orchestra and the singers are top notch, but too often people don't give it the musical respect it deserves and performances can be a little bit of a trial, not by jury. So oh, I, did there. I see what you did there. I like that very much. Um, ben, are you uh, hot footing it to every genus you can? Uh, no, to? no, I won't go and see any of them. Right, the idea. Right, we've got this incredible international repertoire that stretches back hundreds of years, and the best that can come up with some Victorian satire sort of sticks in my throat a bit. What what we what opera should be is something that, that's that's relevant, that's contribution to discussion of today. Satire about today. There's plenty to go on. It'd be exceptional, but for some reason we, we hark back to this gentle satire of the, of the 1880s and I just don't think it's the direction it should go. It's not great music like Mozart, it's, it's, not, it's not rubbish, it's not great music like Mozart, but neither is it biting political commentary, which it was at the time. So I, I mean, personal opinion yeah. on that. Well, I, it's interesting I, though, I, I guess, playing devil's advocate, I guess that the GNS uh, producers Often they often update it, don't they, to reflect current satire. And obviously, I've not seen any of these productions. I don't know what's in them. So, so maybe there's maybe there's more updating. I'm just, you know, that could be their argument. Well, they do. I went to see Rudy Gore up and off a few years ago now, and they did change some of the words. It yeah. was um, the point where Burko's wife had appeared for some photo <laughs> shooting. Her bed. I remember that. And there was some of that, and there was some of that in it, and it was. But I don't. There, there's something pastiche there's something overly nostalgic and this sort of like rose-tinted view of what it used to be like despite the fact it never was i, I just wonder <laughs> maybe just thinking aloud is there something around maybe the orchestrations they know are gonna kind of work better on a reduced basis than some of the bigger operas maybe. i definitely think there's there's something about gns being easier to put together i completely agree helen a lot of gns you know i love the amateur gns society is fantastic but i think people's uh, um 
perspective in GNS is is seeing a lot of those amateur productions. So when you get people, you know, treating it kind of properly, um, it is fantastic. But it is it does generally require smaller forces. So in, again, our current times, it's quite practical. And Maybe, you know, yeah. is, you know, it's not Mozart, but it is it is it's comforting. Well, people like it. Yeah. There's an audience for it. I think that's probably part of the appeal. Uh, for absolutely. For it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, we, we can agree to disagree on uh, on the the, G, the GNS front. Yeah. Um, Glyndebourne, meanwhile, a very different program for their 2022 festival. No GNS, you'll not be surprised to hear. Um, but uh, new productions, including Ethel Smythe's The Wreckers, uh, a double bill of Labarque Men and the Breasts of Tiresias, and a new production of Handel's Alcina. Um, they're going to be operas by six female composers next summer, although four of those composers are writing the same opera. So a little bit of uh, spin been, been, been put on that. But, you know, Helen, whether it's this or, you know, they've recently announced their Freelancers Hardship Fund, which, you know, I can't think of anything kind of similar to that. Glyndebourne are doing some really interesting things down down there in Lewis. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think it's really exciting that Ethel, Ethel Smy's opera is going to actually open and headline Glyndebourne. And, you know, what's it? I think 1939 since the last major production. And I think they're even doing it in French, which was her original intent. So I think... I really admire that boldness because my view is unless we hear music by women composers, you know, no one else will start programming as much as we should. So for me, hats off to someone who's, you know, water talk, let's just program music by women composers and then there's no point talking about it, just do it. So I think it's exciting. And also looking at their program, you know, the joint commission you've been talking about with the four composers. That's part of their balancing the score where these four women composers have been able to be immersed in the in the business of creating and making opera. And so there's for me, it really shows that, you know, these companies are really, really wanting to make change. And that's well, actually better than that. They're not wanting to doing change. And that's what we need. Yeah, and it's this kind of example as well. We always think, particularly with these big summer festivals, because they're not the subsidised companies that they must have to put on, you know, the big hitters to keep to keep people coming back. But Glyndebourne are really kind of doing the thing that they're going to program what they kind of want to put on and hope the audiences come with. Them. I, I think I think people go to Glyndebourne. I, th I think Glyndebourne's got to a stage now where it could put practically anything on, and people would go to Glyndebourne. Yeah. So it, it it ups their responsibility to do. Well done to them. This is a good program to do it this one because they yeah. don't have the financial constraints. A lot there's plenty of people throwing a few quid into Glyndebourne. They no, they don't have the financial constraints. And I think one it. really interesting thing about Glyndebourne is I remember during the depths of lockdown that um, they were talking about the reason that they were in a position at all to be able to get through lockdown was because of the foot and mouth, which uh, was about ten maybe i can't remember many years ago. years ago i bet 20 years ago now. yeah and that nearly put them out of business and that really brought home to them how they needed to change how they how they modeled the finances so uh, i think they they had kind of some they'd drawn on that experience which was really vital i think hmm. well, well pre-covid we spoke with um sarah hopwood who's the managing director of glyndebourne and she talked a lot of, a lot about that i would delve into the upcast archive to, to have a listen to that because um, she again yeah. as you said helen i think she mentioned it there herself that Glyndebourne is so big on the financial sustainability and the um I'm gonna say climatological, is that a word? Climatological climatological sustainability, yeah. you know, their wind farms and all that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a really fantastic um company there. And actually I just want to touch a little bit more on this freelancers fund that, that they've got. So they're ring fencing 10% of the annual spend they spend on freelancers to support those people in times of need. So whether they're working with Glyndebourne or not. It's sort of bringing those freelancers kind of into the Glyndebourne family and, and having this fund available 
for them whenever they might need it. I mean, Ben, I can't think of anything. Can't think of anything like it. I mean, they're I... in a uniquely privileged position to be able to do that, but they're doing it, so we can't ask any more than that. Absolutely. And you know, we know that like help musicians have, have done great work, but again, looking at specific companies, yeah, I think, you know, it's it, and it will be needed. And I, again, I don't want to harp on, but for freelancers still, the situation is far from, we're far from over it's still really tricky and difficult. So it's good that they've not just kind of thought, right, well, we're through it, we can forget about it now. They're actually still really focused on freelancers and protecting the people who make the shows happen. Yeah, absolutely. So a really interesting season next year and all around Glen Bonding, some, some very interesting things. We must get uh, Sarah back on at some point to, to talk about all of those. Um, a little bit of an awards roundup. Vopera and their L'Enfant de Saint-Hilaire won the South Bank Opera Awards. So many congratulations to them. You can still watch it online. The baritone Ji-Hoon Kim won this year's Cardiff Singer of the World competition with Claire Barnett-Jones winning the audience prize. She stepped in with one day's notice, the Icelandic singer um got coronavirus and she she came in i think the day before her heat and ended up winning the audience prize um did either of you catch much of kind of singing this year? this year it passed me by this year I don't know what, I that's because that there wasn't wall-to-wall opera cast <laughs> coverage no, no, this year. that, is what that must was. that must be why ben yeah, yeah it really did. I, I, I didn't see much of it no sort of last bit and that was it I, I caught some of it after i think you know can you imagine being pinged the day before and then just getting on and doing that total respect i did i did catch um some of it on twitter um i think that there was the beautiful uh the lilacs we'll gather lilacs and it was on you know beautifully sung by claire but i think um it was just again so good that it did happen you know and we can all we can all imagine what had to happen to make it happen and um, so anything that's happening musically we know that it's it you need to kind of do everything in in triplicate times 10 so amazing to actually see it happen but yeah there was no opera cast so i missed my uh my my week my daily roundup david so no for next year no no for yeah two years time i suppose when kind of singer return oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. duly noted and um yes yeah, so i add my congratulations to the welsh entrance uh sarah guilford i'll tell anyone who listens i gave sarah her first professional gig back in the day and now there she is on Cardiff Singer. Oh, thank so you. It's it because is, of that gig. It is that, literally, that is <laughs> literally because of that. So well done to Sarah. Yeah. She, she was fantastic as well. Mm. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had the very sad news of the death of the director, Graham Vick, um, a director of true international renown and, and standing. He made Birmingham Opera his final home, achieving a multitude of extraordinary productions, combining professionals and community participants. Um, I would strongly urge you to go online and read his 2016 RPS Awards speech. Um, I just wanted to read out a little extract. Um, he said, in Birmingham, when I wake up in the morning, wondering what it's all for, I know the answer. There, in the glorious participation of audience and performers, of people and peoples from every aspect of the city, every age, every ethnicity, every social background, only there can I be completely myself. Isn't that what we're all looking for in this miraculous shared experience, something that's deep within us, joining us all together, something we could recognise as our common humanity? Um, I mean, Ben, yes, a brilliant director, but also that rare figure who understood how to engage so brilliant. many people with opera, which we know is, is very difficult It's very to do. difficult, but he did it, and he did it consistently year after year. And all of a sudden now we're in this situation where diversity is everywhere, it's this big push. He's been doing it for the last 10 years. Whenever you went to see Birmingham, it wasn't this sea of, of white upper middle class people. There was everyone involved, there was community involved. The full city of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra there. 
absolutely all engaging performance. Some of the best opera I've ever seen, some Mazorsky I went mm. to see there. Some of the best things I've ever seen have been with that bloke at Birmingham Opera. Yeah. And again, I mean, it's a real it's a real loss because there aren't enough voices who can speak to so many people that powerfully. I think it would hard work to work for. I know plenty of singers that he was absolutely he was demanding and absolutely remorseless about what, what I expected from his singers. But the end results were fantastic. Yeah, and as we were kind of saying with with Glyndebourne as well, you know, with just focusing on his Birmingham Opera work, you know, they did it with Mazorsky with Stockhausen, yeah. with Tippett. Tippett, bits of Tippett, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, extraordinary. That, that Just that kind of thing of sticking to your guns with the with the repertoire and trusting that, that people will, will will come to it because the work I don't think works. they ever did Tosca, did they? Or no. They never did one of those. No, it's fantastic. I, yeah. I mean, I, I was really lucky. I managed to sit in on a masterclass of, of his at, at the RNCM, and he, and, and he was just talking about... Um, all things opera and he he's one of those people who would speak and the 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 things he spoke about completely changed the way you thought about music or opera so i i feel very fortunate i managed to at least hear him speak live and give some classes yeah amazing so a, a, a very sad loss i mean uh, fantastic that birmingham were able to put on um his his final production das Rheingold, uh, a couple of a couple of weeks ago um in his in his memory so uh, yes i figure he'll be very well um, remembered, I say, do go online and, and read that um, 2016 uh, award speech he, he gave out because I think it really does say a lot, just not just about the man, but actually, you know, what we can all spy to in in, in opera. Um, so now on to our main interview this month. Um, I sat down yesterday with the Welsh soprano Natalia Romanew ahead of her performance as Tosca with English National Opera. So if I could just start by embarrassing you a little bit. Um, Financial Times, the outstanding soprano of her generation, Opera Now, a major operatic phenomenon, The Telegraph soaring ever closer to superstardom. Um, all comments about you, I should say. I mean, how do you <laughs> respond to those sorts of comments? You know, are they, are they welcome? Are they a burden? What do you think when you hear things like that? I mean, it's obviously very flattering. Um, but also, you know, I know many singers um, that don't read reviews and so wouldn't wouldn't necessarily know about those comments. Um, I, in fact, rather embarrassingly have them framed from um, <laughs> the Critics uh, Circle Award, um, which they, they kindly gave to me um, a sort of a photo frame with um, all, all those uh, types of quotation from, you know, various papers. Um, and I have to admit that sometimes I do look at them and think, you know, in moments of doubt or, um, you know, moments where you think, oh gosh, it's just, isn't quite going my way and they sort of pep you up a little bit you know um but inevitably they are just one person's opinion flattering as they are and of course I use them um for my own sort of um <laughs> uh you know reasons and um yeah they they do they do tend to make you feel a bit more confident and it, obviously it's just lovely to have those things said about you Yes. Oh, I definitely have them framed. If someone said that about me, absolutely. <laughs> um, Just to point out, I didn't frame them myself. Yeah, <laughs> they were awarded to me in a frame, within a frame. It's very nice. <laughs> clarify, good. Um, I mean, early on in your career, again, you, you won the Guildhall Gold Medal. I'm just going to lavish some more some more uh, things on you. You won the Kathleen Ferry yeah. Awards. You represented Wales at Cardiff Singer. I mean, did you kind of feel early on that you know that kind of that career on the stage was was set did you feel with those sorts of things coming your way that you know actually this is you know this is really going to kind of 
work out for me you know I'm, I'm kind of set um yeah i suppose i i felt that certainly things were headed the the right way but i think um i've always been a, the kind of person never to take anything for granted either and with those kinds of awards and sort of you know glory then comes a little bit of pressure um and you just think okay now i have to step it up and and each time it sort of becomes a bit more important than the last um i always think that you're you know only as good as your last performance um and yeah so i care a lot and of course we all do and we we all try inevitably to sort of up our game each time we perform and, and try our best and so i'm always striving um and i never you know never take it for for granted so i always i always try to prepare as best i can and the rest then is just left to you know people's opinions you mentioned there some of that pressure that you, you maybe felt a little bit. I mean, is that one of the, the main reasons that you choose, chose to go to, to Houston for your kind of um, kind of young artist sort of training? I know you had some options here, but you went off to the, the States, was sort of getting away from it, a, a bit of that kind of idea with that. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, it sort of hit the nail on the head there, because as you point out, when I was uh, younger, I, I won the, the Ferrier, I represented Cardiff at a stupidly young age. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't have any regrets uh, for that because ultimately it led me down the path to where I am now as an artist. Um, Houston actually offered the most comprehensive program for me. Um, they were prepared to give me stage time in roles which I felt were very fitting for um, where I was at. Um, the other companies that I um, obtained um, places to go to the Metropolitan Opera and <clears throat> the Royal Opera House um, were a bit non-committal about what um, my schedule would be but Houston sort of mapped it all out for me and um, they have a really strong program there I, I know because I knew um, uh, people who had come through it and I also during my time at Glyndebourne when I was a, an understudy had seen people um, singing there on the stage had studied with Dr. Stephen King at Houston. And so I, I sort of knew what I was getting. And also it was a chance to sort of not be within the, the eyes of the UK for a little bit, take a break. Um, there was a, an incredible amount of pressure on me at the, the tender age of 22 when I represented Wales and Cardiff. And, um, you know, I think the outcome was perhaps not what people expected. Um, and it, you know, it kind of hurts as a younger artist. Then you feel that you know, you 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 didn't get to where you wanted to be. And yet, if, of course, it's a the whole the whole career is a marathon. It's not it's not a sprint, and it's not a competition. Um, and so I learned a lot when I was in Houston. Um, but yeah, definitely gave me a bit of breathing space then. Hmm. So you've you've got Tosca coming up in a few weeks' time at this sort of Hollywood Bowl style uh, arena and you were Mimi in Eno's kind of uh, car park club OM last year um, I mean aside from being an outstanding singer you know do you think you have other qualities that make you well suited to these more adventurous or kind of potentially quite sort of challenging productions do you have sort of you know kind of you know, personal performance qualities that make you well suited for, for these sorts of projects um yeah I suppose so I I tend to wear my heart on my sleeve as a person anyway 
Um, and I think these that's what I have in common, perhaps with these particular heroines, uh, all of the Puccini heroines, actually, um, Butterfly as well. And um, I use, I guess, those moments of um, my own vulnerability within the frame of their journey. And I, I think that's probably my personal sort of um, contribution to maybe being able to portray them as, as well as I, I can do. Um, and I'm not afraid to do that. In fact, I sort of enjoy it <laughs> when I'm on the stage because it, it's sort of where we meet the two, myself and the character, you know, what, what we have in common and what I'm able to, to give um, of my own quality to the character. And are these sorts of projects, you know, which might be, you know, outside, amplified, in the rain, you know, car horns tooting maybe, you know, do you kind of think of those as kind of as being sort of artistically satisfying as something that might be in a, you know, a, a pin drop perfect opera house? Oh, I mean, look, it's it, obviously it's a completely different um, uh, medium, you know, um, being at on a on a set that, on a stage, sorry, that um, Rihanna, the pop star, had used, you know, for one of her last gigs. And um, of course, with the, you know, COVID being, restricting audiences from being indoors. And you, of course, you lose the intimacy, but it's a completely different thing. And we all had to adapt to that. Um, and I think at the end of the day, each and every one of us on that stage were just so grateful to, to be able to perform again with live music. Um, with colleagues, even if we were distanced from them. And the audience, you know, uh, yeah, the, the way of showing appreciation was, of course, to toot the horns, which was a little bit odd, but at the same time, you sort of felt, you know, you, you felt the warmth and appreciation. Um, it, it's never the same, of course, as the intimacy that's uh, achieved within the, the, the sort of pin drop silence and atmosphere of a theatre but um, nonetheless you know I, I think we definitely um, we definitely felt appreciated then. I mean what can audiences expect from this Tosca I mean just before we um, we started recording you mentioned it's quite a kind of a short rehearsal period just sort of cramming the, the English um, translation at, at the moment you know what can audiences expect if they turn up to the, the Crystal Palace Ball to see this? Um, well, you know what, I'm sort of wondering what I can expect myself because I've never seen it. Um, but to my understanding, it's um, a, a bowl shaped within the park. It's obviously outdoor. I think people would be seated, you know, very casually um, with, with their own sort of blankets and picnics. Very similar actually to um, a, a, um, a Labo M I did when I was in Houston as a young artist where we would do the Miller Outdoor Theatre right there. And they had screens at the side of an outdoor stage, which was covered and admittedly had aircon because, because Houston. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know, the UK has given us such a variable weather at the moment. Um, <laughs> who knows what to expect, but certainly there won't be aircon there in the Crystal Palace Bowl. Um, but that kind of informal atmosphere, I think, where, um, you know, we're on the stage, everyone's sort of seated, like a, a kind of a festival vibe uh, almost, um, although perhaps a little bit tamer than a festival. Um, and you kind of feel like a, a bit of a rock star, you know? Um, but one thing I do remember from being in Houston, which is the only thing I can compare this to with the actual theater there, is that sometimes when you're on the stage, you catch yourself 
on the screen and you think oh no 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 I can't I can't possibly be looking at myself performing it's like the most weirdest thing ever um so I'm hoping that that won't happen <laughs> in this instance but of course you know it's it's also semi-staged and the orchestra will be behind us on the um the stage there um so yeah I mean I've I've had sort of you know things explained to me about that but I think nothing will be able to prepare us for when we actually see it ourselves yeah and as you're saying you've got those thousands of people in front of you you know in the big screens it'll be um yeah probably quite 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 the show i'm sure um <laughs> so you're due to go back to houston in the new year um and france in the in the spring i mean how much have you missed those sort of international engagements over the past you know 18 months and how important do you think it is for opera and artists to get you know back to normal kind of traveling in that internationalism back again I mean, I really missed um, international work, and um, I particularly, it's a particular um, sort of, well, it, it makes me feel good to go back to Houston after, you know, being on the um, Young Artist Programme there after, you know, so long. So I completed in 2014, I went back in 15, and now I'm coming back as a leading lady. So it's a very sort of prominent gig for me then. Um, and it's sort of a personal goal. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, I've already had a bit of trouble with visas and so on and so forth because of COVID and, you know, trying to obtain appointments now. Um, you know, I know for Europe as well, Brexit has not helped our situation either as musicians. Um, <laughs> I think we've had a really, really tough couple of years as, a, as an industry, you know, um, and I think it's just so important to maintain the international um, standard within opera because that's what it's all about, you know, um, and I think, you know, I feel very lucky and privileged to be able to have those gigs and to be hopefully able to get there with no disturbance. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's, it is just so important now that we go forward um, in the best way we can um, and strive to maintain our, you know, international standard across the, the world of opera. I mean, kind of thinking about these past kind of 18 months then, I just want to kind of uh, uh, say back something to you, you wrote at the, the start of this. Um, you know, said we are we're already an industry of uncertainty. I hope one day this can change for the better. We've always lived our lives with our careers being precarious and without any sort of insurance or stability. I mean, do you think the past 18 months have made people think differently about how the industry works? And you know, do you kind of see things that might be changing for the better in, in that regard? Yeah, I think there are institutions that are fighting our case um, within our industry. I just hope that the people who can make those changes, you know will will listen and, and hear us because we always seem to be at the the very bottom of the pile um and you know as um as we sort of as a as a as a whole entire world try and get back to normal now um you know past covid i still think there are many musicians that are struggling you know and perhaps who have not had the help that that they they ought to have had because of you know the legislation and the way that um you know money was distributed um throughout the pandemic um and yeah i i i think that there's still a long way to go um but i think that now more than ever it's it's very heightened 
um, topic. And um, we can only keep fighting our cause as we, we always do. I often think of it as, when, you know, we get, we get battered down so many times, you know, and we're used to that because we're used to rejection within our own personal career paths. Um, and we still have to sort of, you know, put, it's just a chink in the armor and uh, you just come back fighting even, even stronger. And um, that's, that's my hope that, um, that we continue to do that and people will hopefully listen and act on it. And you mentioned there about the kind of the help for young musicians. I know you've been very supportive of, of Help Musicians UK again over the past eight, 18 months or so. And I think you were supported by, by them yourself earlier on in, in, in your career. Um, indeed. Again, with, with all that's, that's been going on, I mean, what would you say to a, you know, a 22-year-old soprano coming out of, of college this summer? I mean, what would your kind of words of, of wisdom be for, for someone that's just kind of starting on that career, given where we are at the moment? Well, what I would say is that, um, and what I often wish, actually, that I had done myself is, you know, you can use that time so effectively. And I know it's, it can be really, really um, trying, especially when you, you feel you have nothing to look forward to. You seem to have lost your purpose all of a sudden. You come out of a training program where you've been essentially busy sort of, you know, six days a week, sometimes seven, because of course it's not your typical nine to five um, job within, within our industry. But the information that will be in their heads is just so fresh from uh, the, their training programs. I would just try my best, I think, if I were them, to, to really sort of absorb it all and, and just practice and use that time. I know it's just it's boring because it seems endless, that time. It, you know, you don't know when the next thing is going to come. But um, from the other side of it, looking back on, you know, what I would have liked to have done, you know, I when you're in within the industry, you're constantly chasing your tail a little bit, especially if you're learning new repertoire all the time. I would urge them to get a little head start, you know, make, give, the, give, give yourself a purpose. Um, you know, if you're thinking about learning a particular role or song cycle, do it, now's the time, like cash in on it, put it in the bank. And then when you come to, um, you know, coach it, you know, don't, don't do it by yourself, by all means, you know, um, Try, try and be as proactive as you can and uh, use this time for just absorbing everything, learning everything. And you'll have so much more time then when it comes to take off for your, your career. And, you know, when you hop from job to, to job and you have to learn two roles at once or a couple of concerts and it can feel rather overwhelming, just use that time now and, um, and just really write things down, record things, um, when I came back from Houston, it was a very similar case. Um, of course, no pandemic, but I had been within an institution where I'd been working so hard um, as a young artist. And it's sometimes hard to compute all of that information, especially when you've got different people throwing this, that and the other at you and you desperately want to please everyone. Um, and when I came back, I just thought, you know what? It, um, I don't think that in reality, when I'm working, when I'm on a contract, I'll be able to have one singing lesson a week or three coachings with, you know, various coaches. Um, so I'm going to just have my own space and do my own practice. And what I, what I used to do was record my own practice every day. Then I'd feel like I'd achieved something. Um, so you feel better and happier within yourself uh, as a consequence 
And then I'd listen back and um, write down with all the tools that I'd gained from that programme, uh, what I heard and, and what I thought I could improve on and what, you know, what needed this, that and the other. It's all a balance. But I would just urge, urge them while they have the time now to really, really, really get into the nitty gritty of practice and and learning and listening to to people even now watching that's what we can do you know there are there are very cheap tickets nowadays um for young artists and and students like um yeah just take it all in because it is informing you it's informing your future as, the, as an artist and that time is actually really precious in the grand scheme of things even though it's very hard I appreciate to sort of you know feel that now as as you know in the current situation that we are but I promise it's an investment I mean, a little lockdown project for you has been your um, fitness push, which you've spoken about and been documenting on your, your Instagram. And you, before we recorded, you said you're about to go for a run. Um, <laughs> I mean, what, what role do you think kind of fitness or I suppose kind of health in general plays in the in the role of the singer? And have you kind of noticed anything over the past few months as you've been, you know, I say kind of mm. been, you know, pounding the streets and, and, and whatnot? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've always felt that if I don't do exercise, my mental health sort of suffers. Um, you know, you just feel a little bit um, tired, out of energy. Um, fortunately, I'm not the kind of voice type that needs to run around the stage too often. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are productions that will require it in some of the roles <laughs> that I'll play. But, you know, I, I just think um, it's it's important to feel healthy. Um, it's not about the way you look, um, although, you know, I, I know I'm pretty conscious about that, so that that's a personal thing. Um, but it's, I think, about your happiness and your inner peace. And I think particularly during um, these times where, you know, we have been restricted to our homes, uh, the one thing that we have been able to do is to get out or do home workouts or, whatever and I think a lot of people um, took to that and um, you know it, it, it really does help um, with, with peace of mind I think um, but for me what, what happened was I was in a hotel room in Poland um, during the thick of lockdown and um, everything was shut and I thought oh my gosh unless I know how to order in Polish on the equivalent of their just eat app um, I I'm basically just going to end up stuffing carbs down my face from the local supermarket, which is what happened. And I bought sort of, you know, a much bigger sized gown to accommodate my sort of bad habits um, that had gotten slightly out of control in December. And I just felt so uh, unhappy, you know, and I just thought, well, this is going to be my life where I'm hopping from hotel to hotel or, you know, um, Airbnb or... You, you can't find an excuse every time. You have to try to help yourself. And I just thought, right, that's it. I, I can't continue to be this unhappy when I'm traveling and just, you know, um, cramming in whatever's convenient to, to fuel me and to sort of make me feel better for, for a couple of moments and then depressed afterwards. I needed to make a change that was sort of sustainable. And so I'm not saying I'm an angel and I still enjoy myself with food and, uh, you know, but I, I think the balance is better where I exercise um, more. And I mean, I, I love a drink. 
So, um, and I, I don't want to give um, having a drink at a reception or going out for a nice meal with people and, and friends, I don't want to give that up at all, and nor should I. Um, but it's just about being a bit more aware for me um, where the, the line is and, um, and how I sort of navigate that then around my, my career and traveling. And, um, you know, I haven't done too much of it yet, obviously, because of um, COVID. But, you know, I, I think that I have, um, I've achieved quite a lot um, since December, lost uh, 11 kilos. And so I, I think probably it would take a lot now for me to go back the other way. Um, and yeah, so I just have a, a better understanding and just, I just educated myself a, a little bit more um, as to, you know, striking a good balance that ultimately makes me feel happier. And when I'm happier, I perform better. And I, and I feel that I enjoy singing rather than dreading going to a concert and thinking, oh gosh, you know, what are the cameras gonna be like? Am I, what am I gonna look like? I just feel more confident and um, self-worth goes up as well. There are many benefits to exercise, which all of us know. Um, it's just taking the step really to embark on them, to feel happier if you want to. But ultimately it's just about feeling happy within yourself. It's such an important thing um, that I, I always drum into anyone who will listen, is to feel happy with yourself. Um, and it doesn't matter what, what that is, you know? Um, happy and healthy and able to do your job to the best of your ability and whatever that balance is for you you need to sort of strike it do you have any top tips for staying either healthy and or sane whilst you know you're running around here there and, and everywhere do you have any kind of I don't know, home home comforts or anything that you know sort of keeps you um, um you... i i think god i'm terrible at packing i literally take about two suitcases and end up coming home with three wherever i go because I just love taking things that remind me of home. <laughs> and now I'll have to take some exercise bands with me and a mat. So that's <laughs> even worse. Um, but I think, you know, when I, when I travel, uh, wherever I am, I, I try and make it a little bit homey so that you, you feel a little more relaxed wherever you are. Because, of course, when you step into, a, you know, a new place, so, you know, it, it's, it can vary sometimes it can be amazing and other times it can't but what I think makes it you know yours is when you put your own stamp on it have some flowers in the room have a candle you know that, that sort of reminds you of um, the scent of home or just feeling relaxed um, and I would say you know don't don't feel pressured to sort of um, do everything that everyone asks of you as well uh, I think that that's uh, another thing I've learned during um, this this time that we've had uh, because you're obviously by yourself and in your own head and thoughts a lot and I think um, learning to say no and doing what's right for you rather than what you think you should be doing also helps a lot as well to, to sort of strike a, a, a better sort of um, balance of, of happiness um, you know you, you you don't always have to um go out with with people if you don't want to if you're feeling tired although you think you should because you think you should be sociable you know i think you really have to protect yourself and um wrap yourself in cotton wool sometimes you know and then other times when you feel like it you know go and do what you want um with with your friends and colleagues but um i think listening to yourself 
<clears throat> and what your body needs uh, because our bodies are our instruments and um, they, they have to carry us through. So we should really listen to them a little bit. Mm. Uh, final question that we ask everybody, whether it's in the near future or one day well off into the future, you know, is there a role or something that you've, you've got your eye on that you'd, you know, really, really like to do? Yeah, Aida. <laughs> I played the High Priestess when I was in um, Houston on the Young Artists Programme. And it was one of those offstage roles where, um, well, in this production anyway, um, where it was in the wings. And I used to watch uh, Ludmila Monastirska um, playing Aida and think, oh my gosh, what a role, how incredibly solid you have to be within your sort of technique to be able to, to carry it off. And, but yet it's so exciting, you know? Um, and I've, I haven't really touched Verdi that much yet. Um, but yeah, it's definitely down the line, a long way down the line, not in any rush, but I would, I would really love to, to, to be brave enough as well to take it on. Um, it's one, one of my favorites. Right. Well, I'm sure Stuart and Annalise are listening and they can, you know, get it, get it in the diary <laughs> for a few years time. Um, uh, Natalia Romney, thank you very much for joining us for OperaCast. Thank you. So thank you very much to Natalia for sitting down with us and for English National Opera for arranging the interview. Um, I mean, there were lots of interesting things in there. She was such a fantastic uh, person to, to, to speak to. Uh, I mean, Helen, one of the ones I wanted to pick up with you particularly with this, was this idea of doing opera um, outdoors in unusual settings, because I know that's been your life recently. But I, I don't think Natalia wanted to be drawn into it too much. But, you know, this idea of doing things outdoors when it's raining, it's windy, it's amplified, you know, I mean, all those sorts of difficulties. I mean, you've, you've had this um, outdoor Boheme recently. I mean, what's your what's your experience been? What do you think of the, uh, the outdoor scene? Well, I think right now, outdoor is still was still a great option because it allowed us to plan to do an opera in the worst of circumstances. So we knew that for this particular company, I'm going to name check them out each opera, we knew that it would happen, um, come what may. But the challenges are I mean, a real basic challenge is if you're conducting from a score and it's paper and it's windy and the air is quite damp, it can get a bit challenging. Luckily, uh, it was with piano, this one, so the pianist had an iPad, uh, but then it's making sure you're under a 10, otherwise the keyboard's going to go. Um, there's all sorts of issues, so everyone just has to have a completely different attitude to making it work. But I, I did see the ENO live drive, and I think, was it Rihanna's stage I heard she said, which was pretty cool? Um, that they use and and it obviously completely different set of things but actually i i've really enjoyed performing outside with with lockdown and i know it's got different challenges because of coverage but you know there's something really special uh at one point like doing voyager kate with all the birds tweeting because it really added and actually just just i went to watch uh uh, Cunning Little Vixen at Opera Holland Park and that was perfect because you really felt you were outside in nature especially with the, the sides of the tent being open for airflow and you know it was it was perfect obviously I'm an outdoorsy type though so just just putting that out there yeah well look when the sun's shining and there's no wind it's lovely 99 percent of the time <laughs> that's the thing isn't it yeah yeah it's, it's great when it works but you know, it's a sideways right I, I do feel with all this outdoor stuff and the Zoom operas and stuff and stuff, it's great in the absence of us being able to do it normally. 
But they said some people are we going to carry on doing Zoom operas? No, well, I'd rather not. Yeah. I'd rather get back to that, that's been doing it as it I was. mean, that's been absolutely the challenge of the last 18 yeah. months, isn't it? Because opera has always been written for lovely indoor acoustics and proscenium right. arches. And that's, you know, yeah. So we've been, we've been battling over the past 18 months with things that just yeah. weren't supposed to be like... But the, then, the, yeah, the, but then turning, turning that on its head, look at, you know, we just talked about Graham Vic, you know, doing operas in... in really different venues you know this this it still is i think exciting the other thing i'd say you know the the vopera one that won the reason i think it won it was so clearly designed to be online that it totally worked i mean i watched it it was amazing you know again made you think totally differently about what's possible so i think there is going to be online digital isn't going to go away and i don't think it should but again the more creativity new ideas we have in opera has to be a good thing yeah, it does. But it's a live experience that I like, really. I think Zoom to Room, the opera, where you do an opera in a live theatre that starts on Zoom right. and then comes off and then ends on a live stage. Zoom to Room, the opera. I'm having. Don't nick my idea. I'm having that. Is, is, is that yours? Okay. Yeah. 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 It is. You, you, you are right, right. Yeah, Helen. It's it's how it's how you use the the medium. The the opera did a, fan, a fantastic yeah. job of it. But as you said, Ben, you know what will the appetite be going forward as soon as it's easy for us to get back in yeah. the theatre. Yeah. We will and, and and again, I think uh, Natalia said it as well. There's that. There's nothing like an audience because it, it just the whole point is it changes the whole performance because that you, it's made to communicate to people and sh that shared experience. But we could talk about this endlessly. So, but we, I'm sure it's been on other podcasts. So I'll, I'll leave us to it for today. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the other things I think struck me from from that, you know, when I asked Natalia, if, you know, she was keen for things to get back to, to normal and jet setting around, you know, she she seemed very keen to be getting she, she liked the idea, didn't she? She, 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 liked, <laughs> yeah. she liked the, the idea, which again, is absolutely fine. Obviously, it's, it's how the world of opera has functioned for, for, for such a long time. But I, I don't know, Ben, with, you know, there's COVID, there's Brexit, which we're not going to we're no, not going to get onto. I'm not going to there's, about that, yeah. there's, there's obviously all the, the, the climate um, I think that's your stuff big problem. as well, you know. It, it, the climate stuff, we can't go back to big normal. We've been told for 50 years now that we're destroying the planet. We, we are. The, the, and it came out yesterday again that we are. The idea that we can, in all moral clear conscience, fly people around the world to, to, to sing in far-flown opera houses, and people from England fly to America to sing, and then American singers fly to here to sing, it's, 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 un, it's nice, it's lovely, but it's undefendable. If we're going to have genuine change that's going to genuinely make some environmental difference, we have to do so. We can't carry on. Mm. It outworked. We're going to destroy the planet, and this is a contributing factor. Yeah, and we, we all know many instances where, where British companies cast overseas singers seemingly unnecessarily. Yeah. I, I remember the, the first concert the Royal Opera House did did back, and there was a, a, an uproar because they were casting international singers. And this was, you know, when was this? September 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is, no, there's some very talented people. But I mean, I've been guilty of it. I've gone to Lithuania, Estonia to do concerts, and I know Lithuanian conductors that have come here. We're not A-listers. We're just competent working musicians. We didn't have to. Happen. It didn't have to happen. The, the The argument is that for the for the artists, it's a very you know it's lovely, it's great. interesting, you yeah, know, stimulating experience and whatnot. And but you know, Helen, at what point do we balance that artistic side and that just very practical? I, um, well, I was thinking like historically because opera has always been had a history, hasn't it, of stars. For I'm just thinking about. Um, just struck me, Mendelssohn, um, his his muse, she did a big tour, didn't she, in of America. I think 
the problem we've got is the, the means of getting people around the world is the problem. And until that is solved, how do you prevent the buildup of, of things where you, you do less travel? The sad thing is, I don't think the industry is alive, is truly alive to that. I, I have seen, though, in my work so far, for example, like overseas artist program that I know a lot of people are looking at how how do we how do the audition what's going to happen around that rather than flying everybody around other other people are I think challenging themselves to do better but but is that going to be enough environmentally I mean I think we all know it's a huge it's it's a cumulative thing that needs radical thought and yeah, and we all need to play our part. Every we know opera is not going to save the world, is it? By no. a few operas, in, no. but we all need to play our part. And and I, I also yeah. think just to look at another way, you know, in a in a former life, I had a corporate career, and I flew around a lot more than any opera singers, as as doing a corporate career. So so let's let's not. Um, Beret opera unnecessarily because there's a lot more time wasting go off. May, may I say, going to attend a deeply boring meeting in a in a somewhere flash was great, but actually there would be a lot more benefit to an amazing singer and what they would get out of it than some of the some of the events I attended as a sort of corporate. I I, th I think for me it's it's that thing that if you know your your engagements are, are, are carefully planned and you kind of manage them that you know maybe there is still a, something about this international being part of it but it's when yeah. a thing is ill and they someone gets flown yeah. in to do something. It just yeah, seems surely there's somebody in England or yeah, the country. It's to sing like Barbarina in Figaro. It's yeah. not to sing Dosca, it's sing Barbarina. Like, there's no, plenty of people. It, it is a big question you know opera has always prided itself on on flying people around and getting people in but it does seem silly and irresponsible and we're always talking about wanting to support british artists what a, what a better way to do yeah, it than, than actually putting them on a stage <laughs> yeah um i mean we touched on it a little bit there with natalie we, we mentioned it earlier you know um unfortunately kind of covid isn't going away things are getting better certainly here in the the uk more things are, are happening but there are a lot of challenges remaining um over the atlantic uh, you may see the metropolitan opera have put in a, a covid vaccination policy for staff and audiences mm. you're not allowed in the metropolitan opera unless you've had you know two vaccines two weeks so at the moment for example if you're under 12 you cannot step foot in the metropolitan opera house because there are no approved uh, vaccines i mean that's maybe a, a an american kind of response i'm not sure that's what we're doing here in the uk at the moment but there are certainly lots of challenges um, Helen, you know the uh, the so-called pandemic is a is a is still a big uh, problem. I mean, what again? You've been working recently. What what kind of things have you kind of found? Well, you just you just live you live in fear of of the ping the pings <laughs> coming, and and luckily we we touching wood we we made it. But it, it's it's um, I think it's going to improve because I think obviously in the UK at least on the 16th people will be able to test out of the way but it's been this kind of six weeks where I think um, I know a number of my colleagues have literally had phone calls and had to get somewhere very very quickly to just sit in I mean as a conductor you can just imagine the stress of every night you're dealing with a different orchestra effectively um, so I think a lot of conductors have probably been living on the wits um, and it's not easy for anybody. And also, again, coming back to freelancers, who knows what the work situation has been, depending on which company you've been in terms of if you've not been able to work, have you got that? Have you got the money, or has it disappeared? I mean, a colleague of mine, uh, they they got pinged. Um, it, they got pinged. It was they were, they were pinged from something that wasn't music related, but they lost an entire week's work. 
On the other side of that, I got a phone call to go and conduct Dido and Aeneas at 1pm for an evening performance. Extra money I wasn't expecting. I bought a really big telly. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Every class. When is, when is, That's when is, a silver yeah, lining. Yeah. In, in all of these uh, settings. I mean, big big question, Ben. But I mean, what, what is kind of a work, what, what might be a workable way forward? What's from your perspective as a, as a conductor seems... It's very difficult. The thing is, COVID's not going anywhere. No. So it's not going anywhere ever, basically. So we need a way of doing this. I think social distancing's here to stay. I think it's very difficult because I don't like that of telling people to get vaccinated. It sticks in the throat. That's not how we should do it. However, we need people to get vaccinated. So we're either going to we're either going to accept that a lot of things are going to be cancelled last minute, or there's this idea that unless you're vaccinated, I'm afraid you ain't going to be as busy as you have been. And and it goes beyond music again, doesn't it? That's a, that's a yeah. discussion yeah. for the country. Are we, are we going to have that? Where if you have basically chosen a certain medical path for yourself, you're excluded from certain workplaces, or do we up the chance of stuff getting cancelled at drop of a hat? And then what's the financial fallout from that? Does everyone get paid? If you have to cancel a ring cycle, you're giving yes. 150 people the fees for no opera, yeah. the, and, and who pays for that? The, the, the big national level decisions that need taking. Yeah, and it does very much depend, as you said, on, on the, the company. So someone like Glyndebourne, yes, they've done fantastically well to be financially sustainable, but it means that if they cancel something, they can pay everyone and have this this 10% thing. Whereas, yeah. you know, a, a, a smaller company, um, it's not even a choice it's no, no. literally it can't it, it can't happen um i mean you're very welcome not not to kind of say helen but from your perspective if you're conducting over with the cast and you know there are people there that have decided not not to get vaccinated for, for whatever reason i mean what is your kind of I, i'm going to be totally straight about this because i think it's important we we speak about this i have to say for me i feel a lot safer when I know everyone's been double vaccinated and I've been in a lot of rooms recently where people have almost said just let you know I'm wearing a mask because I haven't I haven't been able to get my second jab yet because of the age thing whatever for me having seen what we've done I think people have very short memories roll back to March 2020 if we do, if we know so right you can have a vaccine and then we can we can live some kind of normal life we would have bitten people's hands off um, so it, it's very difficult and I'm sure we're all facing situations in our personal lives where people, we are, are, we find out that people aren't holding the same view and they're not going to get vaccinated and it's a real issue because actually if they pass, I've been double vaccinated and I'm not going to apologise, I'm really pleased I have and count myself lucky. Um, it's so difficult. Yeah, thank thank you both for for kind of sharing your, your your views again. As you said, Ben, you know it's not something that's that's going to go away, but we are having to find these these ways to kind of make it make it work. You know, on a personal level, we have our uh, Leeds Opera Festival coming up in a few weeks' time, and um, I'm very looking forward to it, and also slightly petrified at the same time. So we should we shall see. Um, yeah. But on that note, as long as we're not all pinged, um, you have the chance to come and see Operacast in real life as part of the Leeds Opera Festival. Um, we're going to be at Chapel FM on Sunday, the 29th of August for a live podcast recording. It's a special episode all about the history of opera, not this uh, London, you know, centric history of opera, but what has opera been like in Leeds, Manchester, Edinburgh, Cardiff over the past 300 years? How has it worked? Who went to these places? Who was who was performing? Um, so the hidden history of opera outside of London. 
Um, I'll be hosting the event with the academic Dr. Ginny Daniel and some other special guests as well. So if you want to come along for free um, to our OperaCast live recording, you can book at northernoperagroup.co.uk. A few other things to keep you busy over the next month or so, opera on TV, film and radio. Uh, there's a new series on BBC News called Take Me to the Opera, uh, which meets with quite an interesting bunch of artists. So far, I've included Cecilia Bartoli, Juan Diego Flores and Masabane Rangwanasha. Um, so that's available for free on the BBC iPlayer. Two episodes uh, for you to stream so far. Would definitely recommend watching. Uh, opera Vision highlights include Stankovic's opera ballet, When the Fern Blooms. We're talking about rarities. That is a true rarity, never been seen Isn't it just? outside yeah, of yeah. the, the beast train yeah. before. Um, and Glyndebourne's Tristan and Isolde is on as part of this year's BBC Proms, a very light opera Proms this year for um, obvious reasons that there's uh, not a lot to transfer to the Proms, but Tristan will be coming along. Um, something else that you could have a listen to is uh, Ben's Hidden Gem opera. It's my, it's my one, isn't it? So I, I, one of the first Hidden Gems I did was, was by Mendelssohn. I keep thinking that I've got these sort of like very, very famous top list composers, but then written operas that we don't know so much. I'm going to tip it. I'm going to tip it today. I'm going to Midsummer Marriage. It's, it clearly draws on a Midsummer Night's Dream because there's this um, real world and fantasy world going on at the same time. There's sort of like an echo of the magic flute with the pairs of lovers. There's Mark and Jennifer, who's your Tamino and, and Pamina, yeah, yeah. enlightened ones. And there's Bella and Jack, who were the, who's your Papageno and Papagena. But it's really early Tippet, so it's, it's, it's straight after the war and it's as tonal as Tippet goes, so it's melodic, it's tonal. It's sort of building on the on the enthusiasm for grind and British opera, it's getting on that bandwagon. But it's a tonal, approachable score, which which is melodic and likable. It got slagged off at its first performance for a for a libretto that didn't always make sense. But since when has that been a stumbling <laughs> Welcome block? Welcome to opera. <laughs> that, that, Hello. Very good. Uh, isn't yeah. that a prerequisite? Uh, yeah. Um, but then Colin Davis started championing it in the sixties, and it and it and it's really is a it's a fantastic work. So. A midsummer marriage, my tip it. Give it a listen. Fantastic. Let's listen to it a little bit now. And so to finish as ever with our opera cast quiz, oh. um, this is a quiz that I trialed a few months ago and it failed miserably, but Excellent. I just, I just love the idea of it so much that we're going <laughs> to give it Let's go again. another go. Yeah. Can I, can I just check something though? Um, I'm just, uh, just for our opera cast listeners, I'm just conscious that David and uh, Ben are in the same room. So I'm, oh. I'm just checking this is going to be fair. I'm just throwing it out there that I've never lost. One of these quizzes. I, was about to say, I did. I did. I was wondering whether post pan, well, not post pandemic, but hopefully tail end, that the quiz would have disappeared because because I had a big Twitter chat with somebody who was like, um, sad about the quiz and put under pressure. But alas, Dave, <laughs> actually, wasn't it that we needed to put David in a quiz, Ben? Actually, yeah, yeah, that last question. I'm still waiting for one one month for me to turn up, and you know, my my panelists have come up with a quiz, but a quiz. it hasn't actually, happened yet. Cool, and I'm very yeah. happy if it doesn't. So yeah. you, you can see here, Helen, that I have the 
questions here. I and, can. And cannot see the My book. head is away from them. Right, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm happy that this is a fair contest, but I know that Ben is rather good at this. It's good. Oh. So I'm, I'm oh. just, just psyching myself up. The <laughs> concept for this quiz is based on the BBC2 programme House of Games. So this is Answer Smash. So I'll give you two clues. The answer to the first clue leads into the answer to the second clue. So I'll give you an example. It's really simple. Right, go on. So if I said the composer of Vanessa with Rossini's Spanish comedy, that would be... Rossini's Vanessa Seville Barber, Samuel Barber. So it'd be Samuel Barber of Seville. Samuel, so the, I get it. So Samuel the, Barber of Seville. Oh, right. It's a two-part. Yeah, it's a two-part. The answer to the first part seamlessly moves into the answer to the second, second part. Second part, right. So that would be Samuel Barber, Barber of Seville, Samuel so, Barber of right. Seville. I'm not going to win there. Right, go on, go on. So that's your example. Okay, so um, shout out if you want to, to make a guess. Okay, so number one. Beethoven opera with the composer of the flower duet. Um, Fidelio and Lachmo, right. Fidelio Delibes. Fidelio Delibes. Yeah, how? Fidelio Delibes. Delibes. Fidelio Delibes. Yeah. Fidelio Leo Delibes. Fidelio Leo Oh, right. Okay. Right. I'm having that. I'm having that. You can have that one. But next time, I'm just going to suggest we have more working out in our heads. Right. Just a school teacher. Cheers, teacher. But we'll give it one to Ben. Okay. You can have radio silence then. This is a really tricky one, so I do apologize for this one, but it made me chuckle. So it's Rossini's North African Opera and a daytime TV adaptation. Rossini's North African Opera. I know what that is. With a daytime TV adaptation. Are you going to give a, what, a clue to the... All right, with first half. I, I'll, I'll give you sort of two clues. One is the answers may be in the original language or they may be in translation. <laughs> All right. And my second one is that, that the TV adaptation is, it calls itself an opera. But most people would call it a musical. Um, is it something to do with Les Mis? Certainly no. not, nothing to do with Les Mis, no. I'm, I'm, I'm no, going to give, give it to you. So the North African Opera, as you said, was Italian the, Girl in Italian in Algeria. The daytime TV adaptation was Jerry Springer, the opera. So that's oh. Italian in Algeria, yeah, Springer, the, the opera. opera. Yeah, I'm doing that, mate. Yeah. Um, next one is a, is a lot easier, he Good. says. Hi, I think, is this from Only Connect? This is from House of Games. Oh, right. So, because it's very, it's, I like the esoteric nature of it. It's very, you need to watch Only Connect. Is it Only yeah. Connect? Could have been, I could have the wrong one there. Yeah, I'll, I'll rip off something else next month. Yeah. Don't, don't worry. That's, uh, I have no problems with that. Um, so, the next one is The High Priestess with the Cavalieri Rusticana composer. High Priestess. Black May Mescania. Black May Mescania. Yeah. I can't see how it fits. My brain clearly doesn't work like this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to give you. Go on, yeah. I was looking for Norma Scania. Oh, Norma. Norma. Oh, I should have got that. You've conducted Norma. I know. I know. So I got no excuses. Norma you're liking the game, I know you are. Yeah, it's good, that's good, um, yeah. We're loving this. Two more. Ritual humiliation, right. Seafaring Wagner and the residence of Verdi's Duke. Oh, Dutchman Mantua. 
Yeah, I'll give you that. So yeah. it was Flying Dutch Mantua. Mantua, yeah, Mantua. Mantua. Dutch, Mantua. The Flying Dutch Mantua. Yeah. So I, I love the fact that we're going like between translations. Like... The Fliegen of Wonder. Because, yeah. We've got one more. Right. Convent Life with Bernstein's Panglossian Adventure. Angelica Candide. Swar Angelica Candide. Can you say it properly, please? Swar Angelica Candide. No. Yeah, but how does that... Swar Angelica, she calls Swar yeah, but... Angelica Candide. No, it's... Uh, it's uh, Swar it's... Angelica Candide, that's what it is. So, no, hang on a minute, isn't it... Um... It's definitely a Swar Angelica and Candide. But how does that it, make anything? It is the answer, you're just not saying it right. Swar Angelica and Candide. Swar Angelica Candide. Swar Angelica Candide. Swar Candide. There we are. I'll give you that. 3-0 for Ben. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I've Because Ben is in the room. Definitely made all the difference. So we'll blame no, I, look, it's fine. I can, I can live with it. You know, Yorkshire people have to be good at something. <laughs> Saving money. Taking you 40 minutes, <laughs> but there we are. Um, well, that's uh, that concludes this month's OperaCast. So thank you very much both for being such good sports as ever. Um, a big thank you to Ben Crick. Thank you very much. A big thank you to Helen Harrison. Been a pleasure. We'll see you live on the 29th of August for OperaCast Live. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>